sometimes it is good to feel uncomfortable. And, and sometimes it's needed. Uh, I was listening to I was listening to a, an audiobook. I think Kendall, you're the one who got me into the idea of audiobooks. Thank you. Um, and I mean that in a good way. Um, in one of the audiobooks, the one that I just started, he talks about feeling uncomfortable when you are about to speak. When, you, when somebody asks you a question that you don't know the answer to, what do you do, right? It's in that pause, in that moment of, oh my goodness, I don't know what to say. And you begin to have those butterflies in your stomach and you don't know how to answer that question. You know, for as a pastor, I've been asked questions that I have no idea what the answers are. For those of you that are teachers, when a, a student comes up to you and, and asks you that specific question that you are unprepared to answer at that very moment, there is a feeling of uneasiness, of being uncomfortable. Today, I don't feel uncomfortable. But I can just imagine what it must have felt like for some of you as we were sitting here during prayer. Waiting. For it to be over. And, and this is not a knock. I think it was a great idea, Sharon, and thank you for doing that. And I look forward to doing that more. Because the Bible says, more specifically, Jesus said, my house shall be a house of prayer for all people. So I can just imagine the many languages of prayer that were offered here. Portuguese, Spanish, French Creole, Ukrainian, Russian, English. And whatever falls in between. I am grateful for that. I am grateful for that melting pot slice of heaven that we have here. Because if you think it's, people are going to look a certain way, well, you got another thing coming. This is what heaven is going to look like. And so this morning, I want to focus on the theme for which we find ourselves here at the very end before Grinch comes into town. I mean, Christmas. Um, I, have, I am very grateful for this church family. I am grateful for this church family because... When I have seen the need arise for any specific thing, you show up. So I want to share with you something. Uh, more specifically, I want to, th first of all, thank you. You're going to hear me say thank you quite a bit today. Um, so I want to share something with you. Because the Bible says, give thanks to the Lord. For he is good. All the time, God is good. Here we go. This is a new record because we've got cars wrapped all the way around the church and we have to direct traffic for people to get out. 
last boxes just went out. The sign's been down. We have one more customer and a whole stack of prayer requests. It's been an amazing day with a lot of amazing volunteers. God has been very good to us. <laughs>
who traveled. And I know some of us here also traveled during this time. But Sunday alone, three million. Here's the issue. There, most airlines don't fly 777s nationally unless you're doing a cross-country flight. Most airlines have a Boeing 737, which focuses on 215 passengers. That's the, the most traditional airframe out there. And, but then you have to factor in the small regional airports who fly regional jets, which can accommodate only 75 people a jet. So think about the logistics. If you've ever been in a busy airport, it can be very uncomfortable to travel during a holiday season. But we do it anyway because we want to be in family. We want to be with those whom we love. And the purpose for which we travel, for the majority of us, is to give thanks. Have you ever thought about it in that perspective? You're going to go to see family to give thanks. And we take this one day out of the entire year where we focus on giving thanks. So this morning I want to focus on a story that talks about giving thanks. And it's found in Luke chapter 17 verses 11 through through 13 it says now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee for those of us who have never been to the to the promised land I'm one of them I have to look at a map to understand where these places fall Galilee as you can see is in the northern part Samaria is fit and falls right between Judea and Galilee why is that important when you look at the context, people that lived in Judea or Galilee, they would cross the Jordan River, which is right here, and go around in order not to go through Samaria. Let that sink in for a little bit. The Jews did not intermingle with Samaritans. Thus we have the story of the good Samaritan, right? By the way, the Bible never calls him good. He was just a Samaritan that did good, a good deed. Jesus used this story to illustrate that goodness can come from any walk of life. Faith can come from any walk of life. But the Luke here in this story, he says, as now it happens. So this is the very beginning of a story. There's a break within the contextual reading of chapter 17. And it says, now it happened as he went to Jerusalem, to Jerusalem, he passed with Samaria. Where was he coming to? He was coming from Galilee. And by the way, this is his last trip. He's on his way to Jerusalem for ultimately his crucifixion. So this is the last time he's making this trip. Then, as he entered a certain village, the Bible doesn't tell us where, it was a certain village, and there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood off a ways at a distance. Now we have to remember that they were there because they could not be in the village. They were outside. Why? Because they were under quarantine. Right? That word that we don't want to talk about anymore. No one wants to, well, nobody wants to be under quarantine. I had to do it twice. One of them on my birthday. Happy birthday to me. And it stunk. Because you couldn't interact with the people you love. Now, the Bible tells, tells us that in the book of Leviticus, that those that were proclaimed as leprous or 
unclean needed to go outside of the village. That's why some of these blind beggars like the son of Timaeus, Bartimaeus, they met Jesus outside the city gates. And so here the ten lepers are outside this village. They're in the, now they have established a community because, you know, birds of, a flock, birds of a feather flock together, right? Misery loves company. And so they're there together because they also find support in one another. And they... And they stood afar off because they knew the laws of the land that they couldn't come close to somebody who was clean. But here's what I find amazing. And they lifted up their voices to Jesus and they said, Master, have mercy on me. Our English language translation does not come close to what they did. Because the, the words here, lifted up their voices, is not as simple, hey Jesus, have mercy on me. It's, hey Jesus, have mercy on us. They were shouting at the top of their lungs. They were inviting the one who had, they had heard that had resurrected Jairus' daughter. They had heard about Jesus turning water into wine. They had heard of all these people whom Jesus had cured they had heard about the, the lame who was lowered through the roof of a house. And they heard that maybe if Jesus decides to come by, we have a chance. And this is what I love about this story and, and those that are similar to this one. Most often when Jesus is walking, it is those who have been ostracized who have been blessed the most it is those whom we have rejected as a society whom Jesus blessed the most it is those who are in the biggest need spiritually speaking that he blessed the most when was the last time you cried out to Jesus have mercy on me when was the last time that you took time to look at the master and lift up your voice and say have mercy on me They had come, they had no other alternatives. They had come to a point where no doctors were able to save them. They had come to a point where this is their last resort. There's something about hitting rock bottom. Because the only way back, the only direction is up. And so they were there. They needed to find the Savior. They needed to see the Savior. And they found him. And they lifted up their voices and they claimed, have mercy on us. And Jesus, when he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And the Bible says, as they were leaving, they were cleansed. I want you to turn into your tables. I want you to think about the time in which Jesus asked you to go. Though you did not have the certain results, because you think about it, Jesus never said, you are whole. Jesus never said, you are healed. Jesus directed them back to the very individuals who pronounced them unclean and said, go show yourselves to the priest. I mean, so put the text up there so you can see. There was never indication that Jesus was going to heal them or that he did heal them right there on the spot. The only indication was, listen, go back to the same person who told you to be 
out here who told you to be away from your family, the one who prescribed quarantine for you, and show yourself to them. Wait a minute. You want me to show myself to them? You haven't healed me yet. The Bible says, as they went. That's why I want you to talk about this question. As you went, what were the blessings that God gave you? Share that with your table. I think this is the loudest I've heard this room, um, which, is, which is a good thing. It's a very good thing. I can, I can also see the smiles on your faces as you begin to think, as you begin to remember about those times. I'd love to hear back. Is there somebody that would, would, mind, would not mind sharing an experience that where you saw you... God telling you, <laughs> you're, you're volunteering somebody, Janice? <laughs> All right, Maya, thank you. You're on. Is it on? Yeah. Okay. I was sharing with the group that I was asked to go to Africa. I didn't want to go to Africa. It's not on my bucket list. <laughs> so I said no. And then second time, same guy came to me and said, we need you in Africa. I said, I'll think about it. And then the third time when he came to ask me again, I said, well, I was going to tell him it's not on my bucket list and I'm not going. But the thought came to me about Samuel. Samuel went to Eli three times. He ran there because he heard his name being called. So before I say that, that thought came to me. I said, okay, I'll go. So I went, really not wanting to go. I, we did the volunteer work. You all know about Maranatha, mm. with the right hand of Maranatha. And every time they have a mission trip, they give us five projects. We choose and pick and go in those projects. And so I, I, I lost somebody prior to that, and I asked God for faith because I lost my faith. I said, God, please give me a strong faith. And when I was asked to go to Africa, I didn't even think that I, well, I said, well, God had three times he's asked me to go. Maybe that's where I find faith in it. We went there where there was a riot going on and we were getting tired staying in the hotel because from the hotel we go to the site and build church and build a um, rescue mission center for uh, abused girls. And so I, it, it was the stress was getting too much. We asked if we would go to Indian Ocean. So the group of us, 12 of, um, of us in the group, went to the Indian Ocean. And on the way back, they were telling us a mile down the road, there's a well that was put there by Maranatha. So everybody were looking out, but I just focused on the road because, again, I still didn't want to be in Africa. <laughs> and um, our driver ran over a 13-year-old boy, killed him instantly. He was riding his bicycle, and the fender was caught on our van fender, and the boy was thrown into the windshield of the car came through so the glass, and I'm sitting there in the front with the translator. Uh, translator. The glass came out on, in the car, it came inside the car, and the boy fell down, and the van ran over him, 
broke his neck to his back, ran over his chest, crushed the lungs and the heart, tore the leg. And I got out of the van and I thought, God, I asked you for faith. And what you did is kill somebody in front of me. And my partner, who was a med tech, says, go try to console the people. I said, you must be kidding. I just had a, a traumatic experience in front of me, and you're asking me to do that? I'm a basket case. I couldn't do something like that. So I stood there while the other 11 went and tried to console the people. And an old Russian minister was in the van. He said, come in. You need to be prayed for. I said, I don't even want to pray. I've done that. But he insists. So I went in. When I got in the van, he says, he prayed. And these are the things that he said. He said, Lord, let this very experience will be known in this village and beyond. And I thought, how could this be known? And so I'm fighting these thoughts for about an hour. And um, I saw somebody standing in the back of the van. And I turned, and the dead boy was alive. You still see the blood on his face. He's come to life, and he was walking. He's grown three inches. And so I yelled out to the top of my voice and said, a dead boy is alive and walking. And people start running up the road because they're down below. They run up the hill and came to where we are. The very boy we killed came to, um, back to life. And in that instant, I looked to heaven and said, God, thank you. Because if somebody told me that story, I wouldn't believe it. But because I saw it, I believed it. Mm. You know, you may be thinking, how can I top that? The reality is you can't. You can because it's not about the size of the miracle. It's about what God did for you. And, it's a, and what God does for you may not be the same dramatic experience that you encountered, but it was enough to get you to recognize God's sovereignty. That's the blessing. That's the blessing. And that's exactly what happened on this story. And one of them saw. So this is where the story shifts completely. How many were there? Ten. And one of them when he saw that he was healed, what did he do? Can you imagine? I mean, the conversation that's going back and forth. Hey, I can't wait to go show myself to the priest and go back to my family and my loved ones and see them, have dinner with them, have Thanksgiving turkey with them, and have all the stuffings and everything that I'm entitled to now with my family. And then they're all excited about going and seeing, getting reinstated out of quarantine no more. One of them recognized who it was that they were in front of. And he returned. And with a loud voice, again, it's not a loud voice like this. It is, Jesus Thank you so much for everything you've done for me. He fell down on his face. Some version says he worshipped him. From the Hebrew perspective, 
There are three, there are four different ways in, in, a, in a way a person could praise God. One of them is by falling on their face and kneeling and, and bending down with their face to the ground. And he's yelling all of this, giving thanks. Jesus wasn't by himself. Jesus had an entourage with him. This is the end of his ministry. Not much further, he goes into Jericho where he encounters blind Bartimaeus. The same thing happened where he says, Jesus, have mercy on me. Then later he encounters Zacchaeus. And then later he goes into Jerusalem for ultimately his death his death and he fell down on his feet giving him thanks the story could have ended right there it really could but Luke puts this detail into the story that just if you're not really paying attention do you remember the map I showed you the people who would they avoid the Samaritans right misery loves company if all right I don't like you but we're in the same boat so we might as well hang out that was the reality that they found themselves in but now they're all healed And all of these individuals who were healed, with the exception of the one that was despised by all, came back to give thanks. It's almost like now there's a, if this was a movie, there is the spotlight now focuses in it and the camera zooms in directly into the only two people in the world as it seemed. If you take time to read the story, that's exactly what happens because the entourage is no longer there. The Samaritan is is proclaiming his thanks and and Jesus' goodness all over the place. Everybody can hear it, but... Only Jesus responds. See, R.C. Sproul, a theologian, when talking about worship, it says the essence of worship is to offer God the sacrifice of our praise. That's what worship is. What do we praise God for? You see, sometimes we, we... let me, let me get on a little bit of a rant here on behalf of the band. It is wonderful to hear you guys sing. But why are you singing? Or let me ask you the question in a different, different way. Why are you not singing? Are you afraid that your praise won't be accepted by others? Or do you think that God does not listen to your praises? But that's exactly what happened. None of us here have leprosy. And God wants us to share all the goodness that he has blessed us with. He wants us to vocalize that. He wants us to express our gratitude. And how do we do that? We lift up our voices. We sing And we say, amen, hallelujah. You know how you you know you're talking to an Adventist church? When there's silence. I'm not saying this to pound you. Please, don't take it that way. But we have inherited a culture that does not express our praises to God because we are of a different culture. I get it. 
But some of us grew up praising, lifting your hand, our hands. I did not. Let me be the very first one to say that. I am still working through that. And I recognize that true praise is a sacrifice of self to give God the glory. That's what he's talking about. Paul in the book of Romans. I want to put this up for you. Look what he says. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Okay, we're all in agreement there, right? Of men. Who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. In other words, what Paul's saying is that God gets angry with people who recognize that there is a God. They recognize that he has done these things. However, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because, this part is interesting, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. Now here's the, this one. I, you know, I've read this text many, many times, but until I read it this weekend, it was like, the, and were not thankful, nor were, that's, it's a conjunction of words. It puts those things together. It adds on one more element to why God brings their, his wrath on people. Did you know they were not thankful for the blessings God gave them. You may recognize God. You may recognize who they are, who he is. You may recognize that he has blessed you. But are you thankful? And this is where Paul is coming from. But became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. To be thankful to praise God is an attitude, going back to this, this quote, it's a sacrifice of our praise. Who are we sacrificing? Us, ourselves. For the sake of recognizing God, his due recognition. For, for being, expressing our gratitude, Right? One of the things that I've I mentioned I'm thankful for, and you heard, some of you may have heard me, is this church family. I really am. I am truly grateful for this church family. My family's truly grateful for this church family. You don't know what kind of a blessing you guys have been to us. You may never know. You may never know. So I'm here saying thank you to you. At the same time, there are, there are things that have been prayed for that my wife and I have prayed for. And God is slowly seeing those things through. One of them, I want to invite somebody to share with you what is what we've been praying for. Marianne, will you come forward, please? So one of the things that we have been praying for is for God to increase our school. I'm going to be very blunt, and I, I've never made this public, but I'm going to make it public now. My dream 
is to bring the school to our property. The first question I asked was, why is this school not adjacent to the church when we have eight acres of property that could, I get it, there's, there's history, there's stories that I'm not privy to. This is before I got here. However, I'm grateful that we have a school that we have. And enrollment has in, been increasing. I know at least since I've been here. But Marianne is the school board chair, and she can probably attest to the history of how enrollment has been going up and the search and desires of people wanting to matriculate their students at school has gone up. So two years ago, there was an idea of expansion. So Marianne, could you share with us what that idea was. Well, let me even get, go back further. Okay. And I hope you all know about our amazing church school. And our church school was established 52 years ago. Five, two years ago. And has been in operation continuously, seeing ups and downs and ups and downs. Five and a half years ago was when we started in earnest to expand the building that we're in. And our building is over, I don't know if you know where our racetrack is and Horseshoe Drive, but that's where the church building is that was generously given to our church as a school by a foundation. So the church school and the adjoining property were given by the Bainham Family Foundation at the time called Commonweal. And that was also a time that this church was up on Pine Ridge, desperately wanting to expand the building. So in conjunction with that gift, we were able then to understand we could have this church building because we couldn't afford a church and a school at the same time because the school was up in Pine Ridge. So let's fast forward. And our school is a four-classroom school, which we now have five classes. And we're a K through eight school, now a pre-K through eight. So keep that all in mind. So five and a half years ago, we had a, an, a, we were going to expand the building with a, larger, a large building to the side. And it became very cost prohibitively. And it started out small, but all the things that are required by the city got it to where it, it broke the budget. So we had to shelve it. So as Pastor Art has then said, but then we went through COVID and all these other sort of things. And if we had had that building then, we would not have had the resources to arm ourselves as a school against the quarantine and the technology that we needed to purchase to have online school. So on God's so grace. Even, even in that roadblock, it became a blessing not to have expanded at that time. And as Pastor Art is talking, we give praise even when it's hard, even when we can't see past the roadblocks. And as Pastor Art mentioned, it's been almost two years ago, we have to have more room or we're going to have to cap our enrollment. And we're going to have to go back to a four-classroom school which just does not make sense. So we went through a whole marketing program and we have 72 kids at the school now in this small building. And there have been highs and there have been lows in this whole process. And one of the things that we have now, we have the city's approval 
We have a general contractor. We have the conference that's supporting us with administration. And the budget is large for this new expansion. But we have prayed and prayed and prayed for five and a half years, if not more. And we went back to the foundation. And on Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving, the foundation committed to match the funds the school has and to give the school $200,000. $200,000. And with their gift and our, our 200000 that we have saved, we meet the budget. And we give him praise when it's hard, and we give him praise when we are so grateful. And just to add one other little tidbit to this is, it was Wednesday before Thanksgiving when the foundation paid off the mortgage for this building. So that foundation has been there for us, but it's all your prayers and God's blessing and God's mercy with the foundation to have a, a, a soft heart for Naples. And we're very grateful. There is a, there's a conversation that you and I have had that the church does not know about. But there was a moment in this process where we sat down and we talked and there was frustration. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there was frustration. Um, but I remember you sharing something with me that this is what I want to highlight, which is exactly what this leper did. You said that you did not get the answer you expected and was not hoping, and how it set you back. But you did something. You did something that you chose not to complain to God, but you chose to do what? I praised him. And, and I praised him, and it was hard. And it was here, not in my heart. But I praised him. And, and when that happened, what happened? He showed me why. And it went to my heart. And he said no at a critical point. And I didn't see why. And I was just almost like the whole project was going to have to be scrapped. But then he put a thought in my head all from him. My next door neighbor is a GC because we lost our general co contractor. So in this process. He did it. He did it. The point is, when, no matter where we find ourselves, we heard stories of somebody going to Africa, though they didn't want to go, and God Amen. increased your faith as a result of that. Amen. God put a roadblock in, in your way, and, and as a result of that, he increased your faith. All the time. But he increased your faith because the common denominator I see with both stories here is praise. Is the praise when things don't go our way. Is that when we don't see things happening the way we expect it to. Thank you. Um, and we choose to praise. God moves mountains. But Marianne is not, all, not just giving praise to God. She's expressing her gratitude for how he has worked. Now, remember, I asked you in the first question, what, what was the blessing or how, what blessing did you receive? See, the ones that receive the blessing the most aren't the ones who get the healing. Those, those, nine lep those ten lepers were healed. One came back. One receives salvation. Our gratitude is intimately connected 
with our salvation. If you have ever met an ungrateful Christian, I would dare to say that that person doesn't know Jesus. He has not encountered salvation yet. He or she has not had that intimacy connection where they have not raised their hands in praise and say, glory, Jesus, thank you for what you've done for me. I want to leave you with one question today. What are you thankful for that you want to give Jesus praise for? I know that we all had had our meals. We all have had our time to reflect. But today, what, do you, what are you thankful for that you want to give Jesus all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory? You see, it's easy for us to go down that list. My family, my kids, my job. There's something even greater here. Have you given him thanks for your salvation? And if you're not sure of it, let me introduce you to somebody by the name of Jesus who walked on water, who loved you so much that he came for you, he came for me, he came for me. He died and he rose again. That is the Jesus I am grateful for. Because if it weren't for him, we would not be here. What are you grateful for? What do you want to lift your praises to Jesus for today? God bless you.